Hello and welcome to the very latest edition of The Atmosphere is Electric. As always, you're joined by me, Rich, and my really good friend and absolute tipster extraordinaire, Fran. How are you, buddy? <laughs> yeah, I'm really well, thanks. How are you? Well, yeah, obviously, I'm, I need to listen to you more. My bank account is not as, as healthy as yours, but I'm good, mate. And and, and what a another week of crazy Premier League uh, football news and stories and results. And it feels like we haven't done one of these in forever, but it was only last Thursday, Friday, and so much has changed in just that short space of time. There's been so many games last week, all over different periods of the week as well, wasn't there? Which the table was just flip-flopping around everywhere. So it's actually quite nice to, to come in on a standard week and not do two in a week and not know where we are. So, yeah, we've got a clearer picture of where we are with the table, haven't we? Well, we do. At the top, it's really starting to take shape now. And I think we can we can batten down a couple of those positions. But but at the bottom, I don't know how you cope if you're one of the fans of, of one of the bottom five teams right now, because... I think at one point or another, they've all been in and out of the, the relegation zone. It's become a bit like the Okie Koki. Like it's literally, it must be so stressful to be a fan of one of those five teams, mustn't it? Yeah, it must be. And they said, when you when you look at the, the results and you know everyone lost down there, didn't they, before the Leicester-Everton game? And we asked the question, would you take a point? Everyone said no originally. But when you look at that, a point is now, it's not a bad result. You, three just takes you completely out the relegation zone, doesn't it? So yeah, it, it's it's such it's so tight down there. And if you're a fan of those teams, you must be pulling your hair out. If I had any, yes, I would. <laughs> <laughs> Another dig, honestly. I'm, I'm I'm useless at gambling, and I've got no hair. Thanks, Fran. You're making me feel really good about myself. But there was there was some amazing results. At, at, you know, even in that mid-table space, and obviously it all kicked off with a with a great London derby, Crystal Palace for West Ham three. But on the Saturday, obviously Brighton pumping Wolves was the result itself wasn't a surprise, but the result was. I mean, that team really bounced back from like the couple of bad performances. Then Brighton looked like the team that we all thought they were again, didn't they? Yeah, I think you know that extra bit of rest that they had. Um, it, you know, they didn't have that rest did they, after the, the Man United semi final, and then went straight into a game of Forest, and they did look a bit leggy. So that rest obviously worked wonders for them. And I actually, before the game, I fancied Wolves a little bit, so it shows you how wrong I was. But yeah, Brighton was superb. Um, they kept the ball really well, and they completely just wore Wolves into the ground. Like They kept the ball so well, and Wolves were just chasing shadows for 90 minutes. And it was, again, it, when, the, when the goals were going in on Soccer Saturday, and you just saw goal, 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 you thought something's going wrong here. The software's broken, but no, it's just they played ever so well. And there was there was some seriously big uh, numbers, like seven in the early kickoff, six in that game. But but the game that I think we should probably spend a bit more time talking about on the Saturday specifically was obviously Brentford was that that last minute comeback against Notts Forest, who had been leading for such a long time. That win had them out of the bottom three, had them arguably looking relatively comfortable, three points clear of the bottom three. You know, and to to lose in that manner, that must have been that must that must be breaking some people's sort of spirit must that, that and again I know some, some not as Forest fans or Nottingham Forest fans and, and and they're broken even still today. You know, it, it must be so hard for Steve Cooper to pick that team back up again from that sort of manner of it's not losing to Brentford in itself isn't a surprise, but in the manner it must have been absolutely soul destroying. I think when you want to look for a long period of the game as well, and you're looking to collect three points and that obviously works wonders for where you are on the table, you know, that it took them two points clear of the relegation zone. To then concede an equaliser is heartbreaking enough but then to to, you know, to lose the game really destroys your confidence so um, not a good result for Forest, and like you said it's the manner which just affects them and, and you know going into the next fixtures we need to see how they react off that because it could completely cripple them couldn't it as with everything in life it's not what happens to you it's how you handle it right and so that they could use that as a galvanising moment there was a little bit of controversy around decisions again as there was across many games this weekend you know we're not going to rattle your VAR cage again but you know certainly some controversy around whether goals should stand or not now if Steve Cooper can use that energy and do that old Alex Ferguson us versus the world mentality maybe he can use it as the fuel to maybe turn that into a positive but that feels like a really tough job to do it is a tough, tough, tough job to do, isn't it? Is and it's mainly because, like I said, the manner of defeat. But he has to pick them up. But I think the good thing about them is they are showing fight, aren't they? You know, a couple of weeks ago we thought they were doomed. You know, their form was horrendous. They weren't scoring goals, but then they've gone and picked up a win, and then were beating Brentford. So their form seems to have picked up. So I don't think he's got as tough a job as as we think because the, the team have picked up recently. Um, but like you said, the manner of defeat it is going to be 
tough to pick them up, but they're going to have to pick up because they're in the relegation zone now. So it sort of swings and roundabouts, isn't it? Is the the form wasn't good? They've got a few wins, but now they need to start winning games, or else they are going to go down. And the, the one thing that, and again, we, you know, the atmosphere is electric. You know, we talk about fans and, and that moment. What I will say is that the, the fans are still completely behind the team, completely behind the manager. And I think that's going to be worth a couple of points between now and the end of the season for them. You, know, you look at some of those other teams around them, which we're going to go into a deeper dive soon with. Maybe that's not the case. Maybe there's some animosity between fans and the club and there's a little bit of a, a distance forming between them. But, but it feels like they've still got that unity there that might just be enough to see them home. Yeah, we mentioned it a few times, haven't we? A few of the teams in, in the Premier League and their, their home support is worth a few points here and there. And I think the Forest support has been really, really good all this year. So they've had a, quite a few ups and downs, haven't they? They started the season well, have been really poor at times as well. But one thing that's been consistent has been the fans. So, yeah, I agree entirely. I think the fans are, are great, have got behind them throughout the season. And I do think that that could mean that they could stay safe as well. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's a really important point for, you know, I'm sure no, there's, there's not a huge amount of people listening to this podcast anyway, but certainly no no chairman of football, Premier League football clubs listening to this podcast. But I just think it's really important to to remind, remember that and to keep that engagement and that community feel between fans and club. Because actually... Again, you look at some of those other teams where that's starting to become a problem and it's starting to become distant. Actually, that that becomes a much harder ship to turn around, especially when you've only got four, five, six, seven games of a season left. And actually, I think fans will forgive a relegation if they see a longer-term project, a longer-term understanding. I think it's this short-term mentality that means that there's lots of clubs now that don't seem to have any direction. Yeah, and and we've spoken about clubs, haven't we, sacking managers and there's interims in place. And I think there's some good examples and some bad examples of where, you know, changing a manager, you get that uplift from the fans, they buy into it. And even if it is just a a short-term solution, um, you know, you look at Chelsea's case as an example, it can go wrong. So there's not always just to change the manager, you get that uplift from the fans. The fans have to buy into it. Like you said, they need to see the plan of what's, you know, and and. it could be a short-term plan, but they need to buy into that and be able to see, you know, why why they're doing that. And I think that's the main thing here is, you know, you can see the Forest fans are getting behind Cooper because they can see the long-term plan. Same as when Deitch came in with Everton, you, they can see the direction, so they've bought into that. You know, Dean Smith coming into Leicester, it's a short-term solution, but they can see why that's happened and the fans are getting behind them. Um, you know, the best example of that is Villa, isn't it? The fans were very disillusioned. Um, they've now brought in Unai Emery. And again, they can see the plan they've got behind them and it's worked wonders. So it is all about the fans seeing the plan and the blueprint. And if they can buy into it, then it, like I said, it's worth points. Home support like that is worth points. And, and that leads us nicely onto some of those Sunday fixtures. And I think there's only one place to start because for me, this was this was the only surprise result of, of the day, really, in the sense that I could see any of the other teams winning by different scorelines potentially. But, but Bournemouth beating Leeds as comfortably as they did in the manner they did, 4-1. So that's, you know, I think the stat is that Leeds conceded the most amount of goals in a month during April than any Premier League team ever. I might be slightly wrong with that. It might have been April, but certainly it's up there. That meant that Leeds have now sacked their interim manager to appoint another interim manager. And they've gone from having a manager that the, the whole the whole area of Leeds bought into in, in Bielsa. You know, he was part of the community. So again, there was a video doing the rounds on social media of the players walking past the fans and not, not acknowledging them again, similar to what happened to Arsenal a couple of weeks ago. The distance between the fans and the club has never felt bigger. And they're in real danger now. You can't, you can't be losing 4-1 to Bournemouth thinking you're going to stay in the Premier League, surely. Yeah, and, and just going back onto your your point there on the stat, the stat was they've conceded the most amount of goals in a month until Leeds did. I think it was like five years ago. So they broke their own record. Um, but I, I think it then highlights, doesn't it, like you've said, is there's not been a long-term plan there. Nobody's bought into the managers that they've, they've brought in since Bielsa. They're all heartbroken when Bielsa left because they at least saw the direction he was looking to take the club. And, and like you said, everyone was bought into it. So... I I really can't see where they're going to get any more points from. And I think that Bournemouth result for them was quite telling, wasn't it? Because it was a game that they'd have been focusing on, looking at going, we can pick up points here. And they needed to. And the fact that they got beat, but tanked as well, not just beaten, they got absolutely whooped, didn't they? Has really 
you know, they're going to be struggling because their fixtures coming up are horrendous. So I think they'll be so disappointed by that result. And Allardyce coming in, he's got a huge task because you look at their fixtures, it doesn't matter with the new manager bounds. The first game's Man City and the next game's Newcastle. So he's got a huge task to try and keep them up. And actually, when you look at the the players they've got, you know, Allardyce is quite a defensive coach, isn't he? He's mantra as he comes in and he stops them conceding. But when you concede in four, fives and sixes every week, to improve it, to conceding two goals when you're not scoring many goals yourself is I don't think it's going to be enough yeah look we, 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 we have to put our hands up and say we were proven wrong with the, the Roy Hodgson appointment at Crystal Palace we were very underwhelmed uh, or I certainly I, I, I'm happy to, to die on that sword I, I was pretty furious at that decision uh, I will say that arguably Roy came in at a time where their fixtures changed from being really tough to maybe slightly more winnable anyway but the, fo- the football Palace are playing now is 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 more suited to the players they have. Leeds, when they brought in Havik, so we both went, that's really underwhelming. That doesn't feel like a step up. Uh, to me, I, I think that was no better than Jesse Marsh. Now, obviously, you never know what goes on behind the scenes. You never know what's going on in the boardroom, whether Jesse said something or done something. You have no idea what goes on behind closed doors. But at that point, I don't understand why at that point Sam Allardyce wasn't the man, but he is now. Surely at that point, if you feel you're in a relegation dogfight, go and get... If, and if we're saying that Sam Allardyce is a relegation expert, which if I'm being honest with you, I feel is a bit of a social media meme that's becoming a reality rather than the reality. Why only give him four games? Why not go and get him at that point than now? Because now it's too late. Like you just said, also looking at the fixtures, Leeds have had some... The two or three winnable fixtures have just gone. And do you know what, though, Rich? I agree with that. And but I think you can throw that accusation at a few clubs. There's a few clubs where they've you know recently sacked a manager, and it should have been done three or four, or five games sooner to give that new manager. When you look at the fixtures, they should have gave that manager the opportunity to try and you know come in with a new manager bounds and actually win games. Whereas Leeds, being the prime example, let's let's just say for argument's sake, Allardyce is a relegation specialist. And he, you know, and he actually does have quite a good record of keeping teams up. His only one way he's failed is West Brom, so his record actually is quite good. And I do genuinely think this is a good appointment because it does give them a chance. But when you your first game is Man City and then your next game is Newcastle, what chance have you actually got? So his first two games are write-offs. Now you watch him win both games and it'll be a masterstroke now. But you know, everyone thinks that they're going to lose the next two games, so you're actually giving him two games. So. It's, it's just baffling to me because, it, like you said, it should have been done a few weeks ago. That it gave him the most opportunity against teams around them. He could, if he picks up one win, that table looks very different. And actually, we'd all be saying they're probably safe now. So yeah, strange decision. And then I think it's just a, an indication of you know some of the teams down there making strange decisions. That's why they are down there because they don't have that leadership at board level. Yeah. I, 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 so just to lay, lay my cards on the table, I, I think this is a really bad appointment. And even some of the stuff he's come out within his press conference yesterday talking about, you know, Pep and Klopp and Arteta aren't better than me. I just think, I think he's become a little bit of a parody of himself and he's almost now too busy trying to prove what he can do rather than just doing it. Yeah. Do you know how, do you know how I took that interview? And I Go took on. it slightly different. Um, and it's interesting we've both got different opinions on it. I took it as, I thought it was quite a good interview because he, what he was clearly saying was wrong and everyone knew it was. And I actually believe he knows what he's saying is wrong. And I just think he's doing it to take the heat off the players. Because like you mentioned, there was that inter- there was that video going around of the players ignoring all the fans and stuff like that. So what I think he's done is quite clever and he's took the heat off all the players and allows them to t- sort of concentrate on um, the club, the players and the next games and just trying to stay in the league. So I actually... So, I mean, I, I, I've got a different opinion. So I think it's quite a good appointment. It does give them the best chance of staying up. I still don't think they will. And we'll get on to that. But I think it was quite a clever thing that he did there. Well, yeah. yeah, And and, and time will tell. I'm, I'm definitely not going to die on this hill because like I say, I've got, I've got Roy Hodgson definitely wrong. But if you look at the general feeling across those interim managers, for the most part this season, they haven't worked. Spurs was a disaster. Chelsea's been more than a disaster. I mean, you know, we talked about Crystal Palace a few weeks ago, maybe going above Chelsea. We're now Bournemouth a level with Chelsea. And technically, Chelsea aren't mathematically safe from relegation. I'm not suggesting they're going down, but they're not mathematically safe with only five games of the season left. Whoever thought that would be a sentence that would come out of any of our mouths? Mm. You know, and so you look at those interim managers, it's, it's very, very hit and miss. And it's interesting that they're not able to appoint... So you look at, let's take Chelsea as an example. 
we all know who wants to be there. We all know who they want to be there in Pochettino. But he's basically saying, I want nothing to do with this shambles until next season. I don't want to come in now and be, be, be tarnished with this absolute shower. I'm going to wait until the new season. And that seems to be the case with a lot of these teams. So, so again, if you're a, a chairman of a Premier League club, you need to be careful when you sack your manager because you might not be able to... When you think about all of that talent that's out there currently, unemployed, not working, that doesn't want to take that job because they don't want to be tarnished with that brush, you need to really now start to think about your strategy of who you've got as a backup plan if you're going to sack a manager. Yeah, and, and when you go back a few sackings previous to the Leeds one, you look at the teams that have sacked the manager late in the season... The managers that they've appointed have all been a bit underwhelming for that reason because nobody wants to come in at that point and you don't want to come into a team who's near the relegation zone and go, do you know what, I'll put my name to that and then have that on my CV if you get relegated. When it's actually not your fault, is it? Like, say, look at the Dean Smith appointment at Leicester. If he gets relegated, he's going to get tarnished with that on his record when actually Rogers has got that on his record but physically won't, will he? Because he's not taken Leicester down if they go down. So I do think it's... I do think it's um, something that boards need to look at and, and future plan because sacking a manager this late in the season, like it, it, it's not good planning, is it? Like you're not going to get the man that you need. And actually, I think Leeds have been quite fortunate to be able to get Allardyce, but you can see why he's gone there. I think the, they've given him, is it a million pound contract to the end of the season and a bonus of two million pound if he keeps them up? So that's why he's gone. He's gone there for the money. Let's be honest. He's not gone there because he thinks Leeds is a good club and a good project. He's got four game contract and if he keeps them up, he'll be earning three million quid. But that, that, do you think he thinks if he keeps him up, he gets a job? Possibly. But at the same time, it's a, no, it's a, it's a win-win for him, isn't it? Because if he doesn't keep them up with four games, yes, it will be on his record that he took them down, but everyone will know it's not his fault. So, And he's going to get a huge pay out of it. And he's back in, back in football. His name's in, in the football atmosphere again, isn't it? So it's a win-win for Allardyce. Um, and if he does keep them up, yeah, he, and he's got the bonus of he could go on and actually be the full, full-time Leeds manager. And, and worst case scenario, he just keeps going back to his podcast that will, will make more people listen to his podcast because he's been a Premier League manager again. So uh, either way, I'm sure that he'll help uh, either get more media work or or maybe somewhere. But again, I think the interesting thing to, to, to balance that is that you look at what Bournemouth did by sacking their manager so early in the season. Uh, and, and at the time, we all probably thought that's a bit harsh. It's a bit early. You know, what do we expect from Bournemouth? But they acted early. They've given Gary O'Neill, who again, I still think, you know, if Man City win the Premier League, we have to be talking about him as a candidate for manager of the season because, you know, if Arsenal win it, Arteta is a shoe-in. But if they don't, then I think Gary O'Neill becomes a viable option. Yeah, uh, or or the alternative to that is Unai Emery. They, they acted early, didn't they? And Villa are now in seventh. So you look at the teams that have acted early and sacked managers. And I mean, I'm going I'm to say Palace sacked uh, Vieira early. It was later in the season, but it was still early. It was enough time to turn it around yep. and look at Palace now. So there is form there saying if you do act early and have a plan in place, all of those teams did, it's worked. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, all of you Premier League chairmen that are secretly listening in, there's your, there's your blueprint for next season. Uh, and look, there's one more game, I think, we, although it doesn't really, and again, Gary Neville did the, the, did the joke on, on, on commentary on Sunday about it being the sixth place playoff, which obviously is slightly tongue-in-cheek, but also slightly relevant because both teams aren't where they'd expect to be. I think we have to touch on the Liverpool four, Spurs three. I mean, uh, again, Spurs going 3-0 down inside 15 minutes. I think there was lots of jokes going around about when can I claim my refund? You know, they, they were definitely expecting this to go on to be another six or seven nil. Spurs then come back into the game against all odds and actually arguably, you know, hit the post a couple of times. And then to, to get the equaliser, Richarlison took his shirt off, got booked. To then go down the other end and concede a goal like that. I mean, the only thing that must be keeping Spurs fans afloat is just how bad Chelsea are because that is an absolute disaster of a result. But I mean, for the neutral, a great game, right? And and what a game. But as a Spurs fan, you must be absolutely at the end of your tether. Yeah, if you're a neutral, it was a, it was a great game to watch, wasn't it? Um, you know, it was a few points out of the game, wasn't there? You know, Jota scored the goal and should he have been sent off? I think everyone's answer to that is yes. Kicked him in the head. <laughs> red card all day long and that obviously changed the game but what I think Spurs can take positives out of that though is yes they conceded goals early but the second half of recent games has been good for them so if they can take that form and you know that aggression that they're taking into the second half and it looks like anger doesn't it looks like they're angry being 3-0 down at half time if they can take that into starting games I think there is a bit of positivity there for them yes there's you know they're still lost which is the main thing but there is positivity there for them and they have had quite a tough run of fixtures recently so when I look at the fixtures come in they've got an easier run in now so if they can take that positivity 
from you know the Liverpool game because there was some positives. It wasn't all doom and gloom. If we can take that positivity into the next run of fixtures, I do think they can pick up some results. They, they, they definitely can. I think they are one of the clubs that has the biggest job of the summer in terms of managerless, director of footballers, arguably defenceless. <laughs> you know, they, they, they need probably to, to, to get rid of 20 and bring in 18 players. I mean, that that is a complete overhaul that's needed there. And I think the way that the season will finish, that they will finish, I think they'll finish eighth, which I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, sees them out of European football. Uh, and it's going to be interesting in terms of the new manager coming in, whoever that may be, in terms of where they're at. But, but they've got a huge summer ahead uh, across the board. They have. They have. And like we said, a lot, a lot of teams have as well, haven't they? But Spurs' advantages of the London, the stadium, they've got huge finances there. So their job is probably a little easier. But what I think they do need to do is go back to the method where, where it's worked for them historically. You know, the, the Kyle Walkers, your Danny Roses, your Deli Alleys, they picked up young English talent. Um, and been successful because of that. Where they seem to have gone foreign, big transfer fees, it hasn't worked out. So I do think they need a, a shift of that um, that model. And I think that's where they could probably get the best bang for their book as well. But I, I, I've said this to you many times off the record before we started this, is that I think that should be the model for most Premier League teams. I think you know there's a lot of talent out there right now that, that's, that's kind of... Uh, stockpiled in some squads that could be doing other teams a service uh, and you know I, th- I think to have a core of local a core of hungry English players I think is is great for any club irrespective of the of the position and you look at you know even you look at the Liverpool what they've done with Curtis Jones you've got Harvey Elliott coming through you know to, to have some local to have some English I think does give you that ability to kind of get a connection with your fans and I think to have teams promoting people through the youth team, which Spurs haven't done in God knows how long, feels like a re- well, Harry Kane probably feels like a really important piece of just keeping that connection together. Mm, I think that's why Spurs have got a tougher job because I think all the signals coming out is that probably Harry Kane is off, and like you said, that is the the connection to the fans, isn't it? He's probably the last one to come through who's been a major success, and he's one of the best strikers in the world. So if Spurs do lose him. Yes, they'll get a lot of money for him, but they need to replace him with somebody. And like you said, to lose that homegrown talent as well in the squad, again, we'll need replacing. So it's a very tough job for them, and especially if they do lose Kane. So lastly, just in terms of the, the game we've just gone through, I think I think it'd be remiss for us not to touch on the big game on Monday night. Obviously, Leicester-Everton, uh, a real... Uh, well, again, the atmosphere was amazing. Well, again, you know, it felt yeah, amazing coming through the TV. You know, the Everton fans were bang up for it. The Leicester fans were bang up for it. It was a to-and-fro game. Either team, uh, neither team took a backwards step. Both teams could have won. But ultimately, you know, you've, you've touched on it earlier. Maybe a point now looks okay. But actually, if you stick three points on either of those two teams, you know, they'll both be kicking themselves in terms of where they could have been. And like you say, both teams have got some tough games coming up and maybe they've both missed an opportunity to just get an extra two points on the board to see them feel a little bit safer in that that relegation battle, obviously. Both of them will be kicking themselves because if you look at the game, if you were to say Leicester deserved to win, you probably couldn't have argued based on the chances and, and you know the penalty miss. But if you were to say Everton deserved to win, again, you couldn't argue because they had so many shots, so many chances. And Everson, um, Leicester's goalie, made some superb saves, didn't they? So it probably on reflection, a point was fair. And then when you look at the, the results that have gone before it, like you said, it's not a bad result, but they will be looking at that kicking themselves because both of them will feel that they could have won and should have won. So, I mean, let's go with the Leicester point of view to begin with. Being 2-1 up, um, Vardy's hit the bar, hasn't he? Um, he's had Vardy's had another one cleared off the line and Madison's missed a penalty. You're looking there at some very, very good chances and thinking they should have won the game. If you flip that to Everton's um, point of view, Calvert-Lewin's missed an absolute sitter, hasn't he, which was basically yep. on the line. Um, and Everson's made four or five, I think a couple of them are world-class saves as well, um, which again, there's positives for both teams, wasn't there? And there was also negatives because both teams looked like they could score at any point. I think if it wasn't for both goalkeepers um, on either side, it, it could have been 6 all. So there is positives there. You know, both both of their um, XG output looks really good. Um, so they are creating chances. It's just that defensive side for both teams, isn't it? But a point doesn't look too bad overall, does it, for both teams in the end? No, and, uh, but I, I do think that, that there's a really key point in this game that, that that just shows the margins is that that James Madison penalty is 2-1 at the time, takes it to 3-1. 
I don't think Everton scored two goals in the second half. It was firstly a really peculiar decision to let him take it. Again, for me, you've got Tielemans and Vardy on the pitch that feel like more natural penalty takers. You've got the England connection with James Madison, who would have taken lots of penalties in the build-up to the Euros of the World Cup you know, not that long ago. So, so Jordan Pickford would have got a lot of information off the back of that and even came out after the game and basically said, I knew he was going down the middle. But then the the, the actual delivery of the penalty was so bad. like That felt like at that moment, that was the power of the game changed at that point. If they'd have gone in 3-1, Leicester go on to win the game, no doubt about it for me. And I just think that was a really, really bad decision to let James Madison take that penalty. Yeah, I agree. I thought that was it was 100% the game-changing moment. So you go in at 3-1, Everton had done, the heads are down. Um, when he stepped up to take the penalty, I did think this is a very weird decision because I personally thought Jamie Vardy should have took it. He's taken a lot of penalties for Leicester. Uh, you know, when they won the league, he was always on penalties. So he's taking high-pressure penalties. He's used to that. You know, he's Leicester's top goal scorer. He's one of the top goal scorers in Premier League history. To me, he's on the pitch. He's got two in two. He should have taken the penalty. Um, I can see why Tielemans didn't take it because the stat is he's missed his last two. So I can sort of see that angle. But again, like you've mentioned, Madison um, with the England connection, I'd have let Tielemans take it over him. They say James Madison hasn't taken a penalty for Leicester since 2018, you know, in a league game. So why on earth was he allowed to step up? And like you said, that could be the, the difference between them uh, staying in the league or going down. So terrible decision to let him take that, I, I feel. Like football is is becoming more and more about matchups, if that makes sense. So it went, we go back to the Man City Arsenal game, and and he played a Kanji at left back to try and block out Saka. And the reason why I mention this is that if you rewind to the World Cup when England played France, Harry Kane taking penalties against Hugo Lloris. The first one felt like he would score, but for me, the second penalty should have been Saka because. Hugo Lloris and Harry Kane being club mates at Spurs must have meant they've done this hundreds of times in training, lots of times in training. They've seen each other you know, both save. And, and I think then Harry Kane tried to put it in too fine a place, whereas Saka would have just taken a penalty and not worried about it being his teammate. And likewise for me, you know, you just got to think about the matchups and think who's the most likely person to score a penalty against Jordan Pickford and let them take it. If they then miss, then so be it. But we can't then have this conversation. Like for me, the fact that they've been England international mates, they would have done loads of penalty practice just a couple of months ago. It just felt like a really bad matchup. Yeah, I, I agree entirely. And as soon as he stepped up, I, I got that feeling, which I can't have been the only one. And after the game, you, you hear all news outlets and media outlets all saying, why on earth is James Madison taking a penalty? Like it just felt wrong, which whether that put more pressure on him taking the penalty, I don't know. But as soon as he missed... And I spoke to a lot of my mates on WhatsApp and I was saying that could cost them. It could cost them. And literally the next 15 minutes after the break, Everton came out and were all over Leicester. And you could see that the penalty miss had affected them. And we mentioned in the previous game against Leeds, having a VAR decision go against them. I, I don't think Leicester cope very well with having something go against them. And missing a penalty like that, where you can go 3-1 up and basically win the game against your biggest relegation rival, huge turning point of the game. And like I said, bad, bad decision by Dean Smith to let him take it. Well, and, and Sean Dyche came out and said the same about everything, didn't he, around how they don't handle adversity well and they don't handle because in the goal very well. So again, you know, arguably there's a reason why you're down at the bottom of the table as a club, Everton, not Forest, is that you're not reacting well to adversity or going one nil down or an equaliser. So yeah, like I say, I thought I thought the game was fantastic. I thought the atmosphere was electric, but I just thought that was the moment there that Leicester could have, should have stamp their authority on the game, take a point off of Everton, put two on Leicester, and arguably they're safe. But uh, what we've done this week, or what you've done this week, Fran, is something a little bit different, because we, we talk about every week, we, we come on here and we talk about who we think are going to go down. But so instead of doing that, everybody doesn't need to can stop watching the football now because you have predicted all of the results, and, and not being funny, based on how you're doing with your, your and they probably will come true. Uh, and, and you're now going to take us through uh, how you see the rest of the season going down and that relegation battle and who's going to go down and who's going to stay up based off of your results yeah so i'm being classed as the supercomputer aren't i today well, I mean, that, that, don't, don't blow yourself up too much mate i mean let's see what you said first of all I mean, <laughs> oh, dear. It, it, might, it might be a nav computer not a supercomputer but karen let's see how you go <laughs> it might have no electricity going to it <laughs> so i've um yeah so what i've done is i've gone on a premier league predictor and um, the fixtures are in order of every game week. So the the ones where it stands out like Brighton, Man U today, they're not included in this. Um, so I have gone through, I've done the rest of the league 
Um, so I'm just going to pick out a few of the fixtures, starting with game week 35, and then let you know how I think they're going to go and how that affects the table. So uh, we'll start with Man City leads. So I've gone Man City five leads nil. Um, with Allardyce coming in, I still can't see how that's going to help them defend against a rampant Man City side. So I've got them tanking leads. Um, the next important result on there, I mean, it's top of the table thing. They've got Newcastle against Arsenal. I've gone that as a draw. And I think just to clarify the situation, I think that then hands Man City the league. Um, going back to the relegation um, battle, I've got a one-all draw with Fulham and Leicester. And I've got Brighton beating Everton 2-1. And I've got Forest winning against Southampton, which um, just to clarify on some of the results, I think if you can get a win here, I think it's, it goes a huge way to keeping you safe because I what I've done here in this relegation but I don't see many of the teams down there getting a win so actually one win I believe keeps you up wow so I've got Forest beating Southampton so I think that's the the result that sticks out the most um the next game week that I've got um I've got Leeds losing again to Newcastle 3-0 um I've got Chelsea <laughs> sorry Chelsea sorry just earlier on you said that Sam Allardyce like you the, 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 the first two games conceding eight, scoring none. So what a great job he's done. Anyway, Karen, sorry. Yeah, just... <laughs> but I, I genuinely believe if, you, if they brought Pep in now, that they'd still get battered by those teams. So, I, I mean, he's been brought in, isn't he, for the remaining two games, which, which is why we go back to that point. If it's a strange decision to bring him in now, because if they'd done it two games ago and gave him six games, he'd have had four out of six games to actually get some results. Yeah. And that's why it's, it's that strange of a decision, isn't it? Sorry, go on, Karen. Um, so I've got Chelsea beating Forest, which may, may seem strange to people, but um, I think that uh, Forest aren't that good a side. I know Chelsea are getting battered every week, but I've, I've got them picking up a win here. Um, who else have I got here? I've got uh, Man City beating Everton 3-0. And then I've got Liverpool beating Leicester 2-1. So again, not many, well, no teams are picking up points in that game week, so, as you are. Um Second to last game week, I have got Everton with getting a point against Wolves. I've got Arsenal beating Forest 2-0, West Ham beating Leeds 1-0 and Newcastle beating Leicester 2-0. So again, nobody's picking up points, um, just Everton with a single point. And then last game week, and this is the big one because teams are playing teams around um, similar area of the table to them. Um, I've got Forest picking up a point against Palace. I have got Everton picking up a point against Bournemouth. I've got Leeds picking up a point against Spurs. And I've got Leicester picking up a point against West Ham. So there's no win there. But what that does is it leaves the table as Southampton bottom, Leeds second bottom on 31, Everton 18th on 31, and Leicester staying up on 32 points and Forest on 34. So that's how I see the table and the results. And like I mentioned before, the key to all of this for me is if you can get a win, it, I think it could secure, secure your Premier League uh, status for another season. Well, yeah, the interesting thing is how low we're now saying that the team in 17th will be in terms of point tally. Uh, you know, it used to be 40 points and now they're saying 36 is the new 40, but you're saying it's going to be even lower than that. So 31 of Leeds and Everton is taking you down and 32 for Leicester is keeping you up. And, they say, and and this is, you know, I've got a lot of points in there because I don't feel a lot of the teams down the bottom have the ability or the know-how to get a, to get a win. And that's how I feel. That that win for Forest against Southampton for this game week of what I predicted, that gives them such a cushion over the other teams that they're having to go and get that win. And I don't think a lot of the teams down there have got the ability and the know-how to do it. It's going to be very, very interesting. The, the, the interesting thing about this is that I think it's always interesting to find, I, I use that word way too many times, I'm sorry. It's, it's always fascinating to, to see when you're playing against a team that's got their flip-flops on already, they're already on the beach, they can't go up, they can't go down. And I was thinking as you was talking about maybe Newcastle being one of them teams, you know, guaranteed top four. But actually, the difference between finishing third and fourth is massive because obviously third is guaranteed entry, whereas fourth is Champions League playoff positions. Liverpool are now sort of turning a little bit of form in, so actually they've still got that. They've still think they've got a chance of of turning it around. And again, of course, that team that we, we we keep looking at, sort of slightly lower down, but with games in hand in in Brighton, have got three games in hand of Liverpool, uh, two games in hand of, of Newcastle. So they're going to keep the the pressure on. So actually, all of those teams from sort of Brighton up, 
have still got something to play for at least. Uh, so there's not that many teams that actually have you know, the, the beach towel out ready to go. You'd have to say it's really uh, arguably Wolves to Brentford. Everybody else is going to be still going for it. So actually, like you say, a lot of those games that historically might have felt like they've got some dead rubbers, some easy fixtures because the other team aren't playing for anything, isn't really the case in that running, is it? No, and I think the two game weeks to highlight here, which are crucial, are the one coming up um, because Leicester have got Fulham and Fulham, I think, are the, probably the one team in the league who you could say probably do have the flip-flops on and they've got a horrendous injury crisis at the minute. You know, you've got Mitrovic out suspended, Tim Ream, Andres Pereira are all out injured. They've got quite a, they've got a very, very thin squad at the minute. So that's going to be a key game because I can't see where Leicester pick up many more points in the remaining fixtures. So they're going to have to go out and win that game. Um, and then you've got Forest and Southampton, which Southampton win, it brings them back into the pile, doesn't it? But if Forest can win, which I've I've predicted they will, I can see that being enough to keep them up because, I say, the remaining fixtures for the other clubs, say Leeds have got Man City um, and Brighton, Everton have got Brighton, which Brighton are playing so well this season, I can't see them picking up a result there. A win is, is huge because there's just so many teams that can't get wins. And when you look at remaining fixtures, they're playing good sides. Yeah, and then as I said, and then just going on to the last um, game week of the season, those fixtures look easier for teams. So you've got Forest playing Palace; you wouldn't put it past them getting a win there. Um, Everton have got Bournemouth; you wouldn't put it past Everton getting a win there. Um, Leicester have got West Ham. Now West Ham, let's say, could be on the beach at that point; they could get a win there. And then you've got Leeds versus Spurs. Depending on what Spurs are doing, you know, again, they could have flip flops on. Leeds could get a win there. So that last game of the season to me is crucial because they're all playing teams who may not have anything to play for, uh, but the relegation teams will obviously be fighting so hard for a win. So I think this game week and the last game weeks are the crucial ones because the ones in between those teams have got tough fixtures. Yeah, it's uh, as we've said for quite a long while now. It's going to be fascinating to see who who can just claw themselves over the line. And the great thing for all of those teams is that, like you say, it's not going to take, you're not going to need to go on a four-game unbeaten, unless you're Southampton, take Southampton out, they do need to win all of their games, I believe. Uh, but anybody else in there, like you say, one one win, one draw, uh, three draws, you know, it's not like they have to go on this amazing run of, of fixtures. The problem is that the teams they're playing are difficult and it's going to be very, very interesting to see uh, yep. What happens, and again, I, I don't think anybody at this stage can predict it with any certainty. So, therefore, I can't argue with your bottom three. Uh, however, I, I think some of the results, I'd, 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 I'd be very surprised if Man City beat big Leeds five 0 in Sam Allardyce's first game. However, it's more than possible because Man City have become a bit of a juggernaut, and they're, they're playing arguably some of the best football in Europe and, and, and are now back on track for that treble that felt like a distant dream only a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and, and just to clarify on the league, um, I've got Man City winning the league by six points in the end, which actually, you know, when we were giving it the big build-up a couple of weeks, this is the deciding. It's actually pretty comfortable, isn't it? Yeah, and again, this is the key point about not getting too carried away until you've played everybody twice. So, you know, Arsenal, uh, obviously we're flying and doing well, but, but a couple of weeks ago, I hadn't played Man City or Newcastle in the second fixture, and therefore actually... You know, until you've played both of those teams, you don't know where you're going to wash out. So, so that, that's the that's why you play home and away, right? That's why that's that's the whole point of this is that you play everybody twice. So, you know, as it stands, I think six points is probably about right. You know, if Man City mm -hmm. win their game in hand, they've already go four points clear. You know, if Arsenal drop any more points, you know, and again, when a team that felt it had a chance of winning a league then no longer has a chance to win a league, second is irrelevant. And therefore, you'll find that their motivation and their, their their play drops because actually they don't want second. And so actually, you could see Arsenal picking up. Once it's mathematically or, or very, very likely they're not, they're not champions, you could see Arsenal losing to a team they wouldn't normally lose against because mm. they're mentally not there anymore. Yeah. yeah. And again, as we said last week, if, I'd have, as, if you're an Arsenal fan, finish second at the start of the season, you would have absolutely said, yes, please, where do I sign? But now it feels like a disaster from where they've been. And that's a different mindset. Mm. Do you want to know some some of the other positions that I've got other teams finishing? Just interestingly, I've got Liverpool finishing in fifth. Um, I've got Spurs in sixth. 
Um, I'm just picking out some key points here. You'd be surprised that, to know that I've got Chelsea finishing as high as 11th. <laughs> but yeah, I think yeah, a, a win for them will obviously keep them in the mm. mid-table, sort of mid-table, isn't it? Um, yeah, and then Brighton. I think they're Brighton and Villa are ones to pick out. I've got them finishing 7th and 8th. Brighton 7th, Villa 8th. Um, which I think overall is a good season for them. So there are a couple of points off Spurs in sixth. So they could finish, you know, a result changes here and there. They could finish as high as sixth. Yeah, I, 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 I think Spurs eight. I think both Villa and Brighton finish above Spurs. Uh, I think they're finished. I think they're done for the season. I think that's that's them done. Uh, but I can't disagree with too much else that you say there. I think, I think Newcastle will just about have enough uh, to finish third. Although having said that, I might argue, man, you might pick them actually with a game in hand and, and maybe a slightly easier run because obviously Newcastle would have to play Arsenal. Uh, but so I have I have United finishing third on yeah. seventy nine and Newcastle fourth seventy eight, which means that they go through the the playoff route again. I'd fully expect Newcastle to, to to get through, but it's an interesting piece that they 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 join later or earlier based on on the outcome of that. Uh, very interesting, very interesting. Well, let's see whether any of that all of that comes off and. Uh, yeah, like I said, at the start, you know, if, if, if you're a fan of one of those five, uh, very, very nerve-wracking couple of weeks uh, coming up. So we, 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 we've we gone back to uh, Unsung Heroes. Uh, and again, something that we, we left last week just based on the sheer amount of content that we had to produce. But uh, you've picked essentially a goalkeeper and I've picked a goalkeeper from, from the same game. Because as we said, uh, whilst doing the, the sort of the debrief, if you like, that the point might be might be enough to keep either or both of them up. But so you've gone with with Jordan Pickford as your unsung hero. Yeah, so I just I just thought you know in the context of the game, saving that penalty, and you know you, you've got to have a lot of balls to stand still, haven't you, and not dive? Because if Madison just passes it very slowly into the corner, you look stupid. So I just thought in the context of that game and the penalty save, and actually I just thought in general he was very good, like. The atmosphere at Leicester's ground was incredible, but you could hear Pickford the whole game screaming and he made some good saves. And I just think the impact that he's had on that team, because you know, let's be honest, Everton are very, very poor this season. Um, he's been a standout highlight for them and actually probably a reason that they've still got a chance of staying up. So there's been some games this season where he single-handedly has kept them in games. So uh, yeah, just a shout out for Jordan Pickford. I thought that penalty save could potentially be a reason for them staying up. And if they did go down, he's definitely uh, going to be picked up by one of the top six clubs, right? He's definitely going. So uh, I, I can't disagree with you at all. I think he's been uh, a fantastic ambassador for the club. Uh, I think he cares. You can see you can see the care. And, and again, his skill, for me, as an actual technical goalkeeper, he's improving year on year, you know. And, and that's, that's only testament to himself. And, and, and interestingly, I've gone for, you mentioned him earlier, I've, I've gone for the man at the other end of the, that same pitch because actually... Obviously, Leicester losing Kasper Schmeichel was a bit of an unusual decision, potentially, without having necessarily a, a clear number two. Obviously, goalkeeper came in, didn't really set anybody with any sort of confidence whatsoever. They then made the decision to change the goalkeeper. And again, in some ways, changing the goalkeeper is almost as big a decision as changing the manager, in some ways. Uh, and so for Iverson to come in and again, you know, pull off some saves that he saved, that he made. Uh, not just this game week, but you can see the confidence in the fans, in the players around him, building. He started to make a name for himself again. If Leicester were one of the teams to go down, I can see a, a, a top 10 club coming in for him next season. You know, he started to make a name for himself to save from Awobi in the first half. And, and just to be clear, by the way, I hate Awobi. It's a really irrational fear and hatred, but I, I can't stand Awobi as a football player. Uh, so the fact that he scored and nearly scored two at the, on Monday makes my toes curl but uh, it was a great save and actually kept like I say kept Leicester in the game and both goalkeepers came out of that game with a huge amount of credit and actually at this time you need players to be on form and both of them might just be enough to keep both teams up yeah since Everson's came in he's he's looked very very assured and actually it may, it makes um Brendan Rodgers's decision to start Danny Ward ahead of him from the beginning of the season seemed really, really odd. And he actually came out, I think it was 25 games, he came out and said, I wanted to give Ward every chance because he's been a loyal number two. But actually that decision could send Leicester down because some of the goals that Ward let in were shockers. They were absolutely horrendous. Whereas Danny Everson, some of the saves he's been making recently have been showing that decision to be you know, an absolute shocker. So fair play to him. He's had a lot of pressure on his shoulders coming in against, you know, Leicester conceded a lot of shots and the saves that he's been making, some of them in world class. So yeah, I think like I said, Leicester have got a good goalkeeper on the hands and if they go down, 
they might have to sell him, but he might be, you know, one that can try and keep as their number one for the next coming good few amount of seasons. Yeah, and and, and there's another person you, you, in the same conversation we've highlighted the two people in football that I have irrational hatred for for no real reason whatsoever. Brendan Rodgers and Alex Iwobi. Uh, I can't stand Brendan Rodgers. I think that he should never manage a Premier League team again, but there's no real logic behind it. I just can't stand the man. Uh, and, and I think that some of his decisions are going to potentially have long-standing ramifications for Leicester uh, and not for the positive, unfortunately, which you know, which is a sad state of affairs. But uh, yeah, those kind of touting Rodgers around as being someone that might take over a, a Chelsea or a Spurs in the future, I think are, are, are way off the mark. I think he unfortunately might end up in a more of a Sam Allardyce sort of pitch where people only go to as a last resort when they try and turn something around with only a few games to go. Yeah, he's got a um, he's got a very good reputation in the media though, hasn't he? A lot of people in the media are still saying, why did you, why did Leicester sack Rodgers? They're in a terrible situation. It's all his own fault. You look at the players out of contract, a lot of them he's dropped. Um, yeah, I, don't, I think he's a good manager to come in for a period of time, but after that period of time has expired, um, you know, he has a shelf life think you then need somebody else to come in and rebuild yeah not for me not for me so uh good stuff so we now move on to to this next game week and we've you've highlighted a, a fixture that, that that you feel we should do a deeper dive on uh, as have i and i think uh i'm happy for you to pick actually whichever one you want to go with friend i'm happy to do either or so, so you've, you've highlighted newcastle versus arsenal at the top and forest versus southampton at the bottom so, so which one do you want to take off first mate i'll take newcastle arsenal um i, I this this game from a just from a, a quality perspective jumps off the page from this game week. Um, it probably doesn't mean as much to both teams. I know Arsenal are still going for the title, but realistically, I don't think they're going to get it. Um, so yes, yeah, so I just think this would be a really interesting game where you've got Newcastle who are, who are very solid defensively and Arsenal are quite free flowing going forwards. Um, I think this could be a really good game um, tactically and stylistically. Um, and Arsenal obviously need to win to keep up that title challenge. And Newcastle, you know, pretty much have sealed top four now. I think that's a given. But they'll obviously want to win to to, to ensure that this uh, finish as high up the table as possible. So, yeah, I think stylistically this could be a really good game. And I think it'll be interesting to see how Arsenal break Newcastle down. Arsenal seem to have been very good against teams who are very, very open or sit back in very well defensively. I think a team where they defend well but also have a lot going forwards, I'd like to see how they cope with that. So I think this is going to be a really good game. Yeah, we saw the game uh, at the Emirates that feels like a million years ago now that was the, the nil-nil when everybody came out bemoaning Newcastle's approach to the, the game and how it was you know boring and dull and when it should come out attacking. And, and since then, Newcastle have evolved again and actually the last few weeks they've been scoring goals for fun, uh, whether it's Callum Wilson, Isaac, you know, Murphy. They've been goals from all over the place. Willock looks like a, uh, you know, a world-class midfield player again. And again, you know, I think that it's a really interesting piece of how, how you've got two young managers that have taken on jobs that arguably three, four years ago would have been to be deemed to be too big for them and have turned not just the team around, but the culture of the club around. And I think both of those clubs are in really good hands. They can keep hold of the managers. They're in really good hands. And this is a game that could determine if Newcastle can beat Arsenal, that starts to then really cement them as one of those teams at the top of the table that, that's going to be there for a long time. You know, they win the big games. Whereas if Arsenal can go to Newcastle, it does the same for them. If you remember last year, it was the Newcastle away game that that, that folded Arsenal, that, that finished them uh, as a you know Champions League option. And, and if they can now go there and right those wrongs and banish those demons, I think that's going to be a really big psychological blow for Arsenal moving forward. And again, Odegaard, you know, against Chelsea looked like a play. You know, they've got options now. They're dropping Martinelli, bringing Trossard in. You know, Arsenal, Jesus has come back as a player. You know, I think it's going to be really interesting stylistically, as you say, around who who comes out on top and who, who's going to win that midfield battle. Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting to see how um, see how Arsenal handle Newcastle going forward as well. You know, recently, you know. Well, I say I was going to say recently. Let's go back to you know a bit more historically. Newcastle haven't really scored a lot of goals, have they? They were winning one nil, two nil, but as of late, they've been putting a lot of goals past teams. So actually, they're you know their attacking play has been good. So I'd like to see how Arsenal handle that because they have looked pretty shaky at the back recently. And even though they did beat Chelsea pretty comfortably three one, there was a period where Chelsea had a decent amount of possession and attacked them, and Arsenal looked a bit dodgy. So yeah, I'd like to, I just I'm interested to see how. Um, Arsenal defend against Newcastle and to see, you know, how Isak, whether he can bully the back four, you know, keeps popping off into the fullback area, doesn't he, and running by people. So I'd like to see how he how he deals, how Ben White especially deals with him as well. 
Yeah, Eddie Howe feels like he's evolved. And, and, and lots of Liverpool have evolved with Trent coming into that midfield space that was started by Rico Lewis at Man City that have now removed that and John Stone sits there. And actually, you know, Joe Linton was moved from a forward to a to a more of a holding midfield player, but now he coming off the left and scoring goals. It's it's interesting, isn't it, to see how how teams are are, are evolving where the players back in the you know, even two years ago, if you was a right back, you was a right back. If you use a left back, you use a left. But now they're, they're trying to adapt the game and move people into different spaces to create overloads. And and actually, it's going to be interesting where Joe Linton pops up. And actually, you know, like you say, with with a front three of maybe Joe Linton, Isaac, and Wilson, does that actually create completely different problems for Arsenal? So it, it could be. Again, I think as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, I, I think that's going to be a high scoring game. If I wouldn't like to be one hundred percent certain who's winning it, but it's going to be a high scoring game in my opinion. Yeah, my prediction on the on that Premier League predicted table was two all. Yeah, I can see it. I can see it. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, yeah, looking forward to that game. Obviously, that's going to be the uh, a really interesting fixture. The the, the, the late kickoff on Sunday, four thirty kickoff. So there's it's not the late kickoff because there's a later one. There's a seven o'clock kickoff on Sunday, which is a bit unusual. Uh, I've gone for Forest versus Southampton for all of the obvious reasons, as it being a bottom of the table clash. That if Forest win. You've kind of alluded to that it could be enough to see them see them stay up. That's how big this fixture is, and 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 obviously if Southampton can win, it's definitely not going to help them stay up, but it, it it keeps them close to the pack. And actually, you know, Southampton have got a lot of young good players, but at the moment they look toothless. Uh, you know, the Bournemouth game was a real example of how uh, one team have got cutting edge, a purpose, and understanding, and goals in them, where the other team just look like they're. They may be coming to the end of their time and, and and maybe this is as far as they can go. Southampton change their manager. Hasn't really seen a massive improvement in their results, if we're being honest. You know, Southampton always that team that could nick a point against the top two, but then lose against the bottom two. And and so for me, I think this is the chance for Nottingham Forest to, to, to absolutely stamp their authority on the situation. To go and do that with a with a convincing win. At home, the fans behind them, Monday night, eight o'clock, under the lights, you know, all eyes on them. It's a real opportunity for them to stamp their authority on, on the league, on the game. And if they can win that, as you've said, potentially it's big enough to keep them up. So this is going to be a huge pressure. And for me, it's going to be about who handles that pressure better. And for me, I look around at Notts Forest squad. I'm not convinced they've done what they set out to do, which is having three players in each position of Premier League quality. But I believe they've got enough experience in that squad to go and win that game and therefore send Southampton down and give themselves a great opportunity for that. Yeah, I, th- I think um, Forrest will have enough to win this game. I think when you've got um, that little upturn in form that they have had, um, I think that should um, be enough to see them win this game. What I would be interested in is to see how they react after the manner of that um, defeat to Brentford, which we've spoken about before. But what I do also think is important to note here is they are the latest kickoff out of all of the games this game week. So whether you think this, you know there's two um, trails of thought there, isn't there? It's a negative and a positive. I always see this as a positive because you now know what you need to do. So as an example, Leeds beat Man City, Leicester beat Fulham, and who else is down there? looking around Everton beat Brighton as an example they now know they have to win to keep up with the pack so if you were going to sit back defensively you've got to go for it now so I do think it is as an advantage to play last so I think that adds a bit more extra spice to the game as well yeah completely agree I completely agree like you say the ability to see what the other teams have done is both a benefit and a curse we spoke about this before is that the pressure can build up you know and both ways if all the other teams lose a win becomes even more important and more of an opportunity and maybe that actually creates pressure. But so again, Steve Cooper is going to have a really uh, important job. Well, he's, he's obviously hopefully already started that process of, of calming them down from last weekend, you know, building them back up again and understanding the size of the prize that Monday night brings. And again, you know, we, last Monday night, the, uh, the the Leicester Everton game was, was a great atmosphere and a great sort of six pointer at the bottom of the table. The second week on the trot on the Monday night, 8 o'clock, we're going to have the same sort of feeling, the same sort of vibe. And I think, again, I do feel that Notts Forest win, but I can see this again being a, a high score in both teams scoring 3-1 home victory. So I've, I've, I've gone the other way. I think it's a 1-0 Forest win. I just can't see Southampton scoring, to be honest. They do look a bit bereft of ideas, really. So I, I've just gone with a, a pretty straightforward Forest sort of 1-0 or 2-0 win. 
well, either way, that's going to be a massive result for Notts Forest. And as you've said before, potentially enough to, to see them stay in the league, which would be uh, fantastic for all the Nottingham Forest fans and something obviously I'm sure they'll celebrate for almost as much as the, the, the playoff victory of last season. I'm sure that would be a, a fantastic night for all if, if that's how it happens. But obviously on the flip side of that, if Southampton don't get the win, I think we can all safely say that they're, they're definitely down. Yeah, I think that's why it's an important game, isn't it? Because it, 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 it will seal the fate of Southampton if they lose. But also probably Forest, because they've got, you know, they've probably got the easiest run of fixtures of all of them, but this is their main game. They'll be targeting for three points. I think just something else to note, Rich, on on the games is Monday night is a it's a feast of football, isn't it? Um, but it's all relegation matches. You've got Leicester, Everton, and then Forest. So you've got three half five eight o'clock so you've got three games there which all will have a huge impact on relegation so monday night is relegation mondays <laughs> interestingly for me the three o'clock kickoff's not on telly which i find strange why why move it to monday night at three o'clock so monday night at three o'clock monday afternoon bank holiday monday at three o'clock if it's not going to be uh on the telly you might as well have had that you know there, there was a sunday early kickoff space anyway not not for me to, to to move games about and i don't want to be that person but i just think it's a bit of a strange decision to move that to Bank holiday Monday at three o'clock without having them on the telly. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but what do I know? Uh, so we move on to uh, somewhere we know that your, the smile on your face is already, I can't see you, but I'm sure the smile on your face is already started when we talk about how we're getting on with our five pound predictors. And of course, uh, Spawny Fran comes in again. This one wasn't Spawny. This one was, <laughs> this one was legit. This one was earned, was it? Yeah, it was it was it was pretty basic, wasn't it? It was Man City and Newcastle both to win, which I think everyone would have could have predicted. But then I had Leicester Everton draw, um, and that that made it a five to one. So I ended up walking away with thirty pounds, which was lovely. So you are doing very well now. So uh, that, that I think that's your fourth win. So how much are you up to now in terms of financial return on it? So uh, um, so we're not going to do individuals as a pod. We are now two hundred and eighty-five pounds. No, two hundred ninety. Sorry, two hundred ninety pounds up, and that, we've had six wins between us, which I think is good. It's, 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 if only I'd stop there and just listen to you more. We'd, 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 this time next year, we'll be millionaires. Uh, so, so good stuff. So, and that's not a bad place to be. I think what we're on seven or eight. I don't know how many we've done now, but yeah, uh, it's, it's not bad. Not a bad return. And so you've gone for what I think is an actually a really interesting little combo this time around. Yeah. So my, I mean, my biggest win was was going with draws, and I've gone down the same line this time, but just not as many. So I've just gone for two draws, and I've gone Spurs versus Palace and Newcastle versus Arsenal. So I just think both of those teams, um, they're both playing teams, when I say around them, sort of around the same momentum. So Palace are sort of hit and miss, Spurs are hit and miss. So I think that could be a draw. And Newcastle and Arsenal, uh, both playing well, both up there. So again, I can see that being a draw. And so if you put the both of those in, you'll get 12 and a half to one. So you're getting decent odds as well. Um, so yeah, £5 pays back, what, 60 five pounds i think it is yeah it's, it's, i always find it interesting how high they, they rate the draws in terms of odds when actually it's not that an unusual result but uh you know such, you know for example a, a win can be as, as low as one to seven or seven to one on but a draw is always kind of 11 to five at the shortest it's just a bizarre how it's not that unusual but it seems to always get big odds yeah and as and i actually think there'll be a lot of draws i mean just on a separate note i've had another double which is again five pounds but i just think fulham leicester and brighton everton We'll have draws in them as well so you get big odds and that i mean that one the second one i've just read out is five pound on to return 91 so if you do fancy some draws there's some value there okay well so i've i've, I've i haven't fancied before so i've gone with the fourfold which seems to be about my sweet spot actually I, I think between two and four victories is about my limit i always get carried away though and start to add other teams on there but uh what i've done is uh, i've gone with a very very uh i think winnable. So I've got Man City to beat Leeds, which you've said is going to be 5-0, so that's a, that's a banker, no problem at all. I've got Aston Villa to beat Wolves. I think Wolves obviously coming back of a 6-0 defeat to, to Brighton are, are there for Villa, who who are one of my favourite teams at the moment to sort of watch and study. So so I think Villa beat Wolves. I've gone for Liverpool to beat Brentford. Liverpool obviously, you know, feels a little bit more like the old Liverpool, getting penalties, scoring, keeping clean sheets. You know, I think Liverpool are going to have enough to beat Brentford at home. And I've gone for Manchester United to beat West Ham. Uh, away from home so again that, that increases the odds but I think Man United will have too much for West Ham and that comes in it's just over 7-1 to one. Uh, so a, a £5 on will return just over £41 and that feels like a, uh, a pretty safe space for me to be this week 
So if you, if you want to know how my predictions match up to that, I think you've got a bet winner. So I've had all of those four as, as winners in my in the prediction table that we did earlier. So there we go. So guaranteed people, get get five pack. Don't go crazy. Just a little cheeky five on it. Uh, if nothing else, it might pay for a, for a takeaway over the, over the bank holiday weekend, etc. So, uh, but we keep winning, friend. We keep we keep we keep these these, these great great predictions coming through. So, uh, look, thank you so much again for your time, Dave. I really really enjoyed unpicking uh, and looking forward to to what the Premier League brings. Uh, obviously, a massive massive weekend across the board. But uh, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you enjoy a bank holiday weekend. You too, mate. See you soon.